Welcome to Wake Up with Patty Catter. Come dive into today's episode, sponsored by the Patriotic Mermaid. Hello, everybody. You're listening to and watching Wake Up with Patty Catter, and I'm your hostess, Patty Catter. Today, I have Rhonda on the show with us. It's Rhonda Britton. I'm very happy to have her on the show. You're all going to learn a lot from Rhonda. Without hesitation, I just want to go right into this interview because I don't want to waste a second of this time. So Rhonda, welcome to the show. Thank you, Patty. I so am grateful to be here. Thank you. If you would like, if you could just tell our listeners a little bit about where you're from. I love doing that at the beginning of the show so that our, our listeners can connect with you right away. Well, I grew up in northern Minnesota and northern Michigan. So I've got 365 inches of snow a year, every year growing up. <laughs> And, you know, uh, I grew up in a little tiny town most of my life. I was born in upper Minnesota, and then we moved to upper Michigan where my parents were, were, were born and raised. And uh, I grew up in a little tiny town, you know, two restaurants, the Douglas Fancy House Bo- Hotel Buffet and Big Boy. We had no fast food, nothing. It's about 5,000 people in town. And, you know, my class had like 97 people. And, um, you know, my story is... Uh, let, I'll just I'll just tell you about the worst day of my life. I'll just go right into it if if you don't mind, Patty, because it really does talk a lot about where I'm from and who I am. And like I said, I grew up in a little tiny town uh, in the Upper Peninsula, Michigan. So I'm a youper. That's what they call us, youpers. And um, you know, my father and mother were getting a divorce, and um, my it was Father's Day. I was 14 years old. It was Father's Day, and like I said, we grew up in a little town. So you know, we have three girls, I'm in the middle of three girls. Uh, you don't go out to eat. We got a pizza once in a while, but that's it. So my father was taking us out for brunch on Sunday on Father's Day. So this is a big deal. Uh, my mother made all my clothes for me, sewed all my clothes for me. So she made me a brand new white dress. And my sisters were fighting it out in our one bathroom. Our house was about 850 square feet. And, you know, my, my dad walks in, come on, come on. My mom's like, let's go. My sister's still fighting it out in the bathroom. And me and my dad and my mom start walking out. My sister's still in the bathroom fighting it out like sisters do. And as we are walking out, it starts drizzling. And my father says, let me get my coat from the car. Now, this coat was a tan Naga Hyde leisure suit coat. And for those of you who were uh, born during that time when the leisure suit was hot, my father in his polyester pants, his, his plaid shirt and his coat looked hot. And my mother wore a beehive hairdo. Uh, got went to the beauty parlor every Friday, beehive hairdo, had her hair washed, combed and curled in a beehive every Friday. And so um, my dad opens his trunk to get his coat out. And I notice instead of grabbing a coat, my father grabbed a gun and he starts screaming at my mother, yelling at my mother, you made me do this, you made me do this. And he fires and I start screaming, what are you doing dad? What are you doing? Stop, what are you doing? And he cocked the gun and he pointed it at me and I absolutely 100% believed I was next. And he blinked, I blinked, he blinked, I blinked. And we were just like in a staring contest. And my mother literally with her last breath sees the gun in my face and screams, no, don't. And my father realizing my mother's still alive takes that bullet intended for me and shoots my mother a second time. And that second bullet goes through my mother's abdomen and out her back and lands in the car horn. And for the next 20 minutes, all I heard was, eh, and then my father jumps to his knees, cocks the gun, jumps to his knees, puts the gun to his head and fires. 
So in a matter of two minutes, I was the sole witness of watching my father murder my mother and commit suicide in front of me. And, you know, I don't know how other people would handle that, but this is what I did. I blame myself because I was the only one physically out there that could have stopped him. And I didn't do anything heroic, right? I didn't jump in front of the gun. I didn't grab the gun. I didn't kick my father in the shins, right? I didn't hit him over the head. I did nothing. And now my mother's dead. Now my father's dead and I'm still standing. So I like to say that, you know, in that moment, it's like I split into two, right? I, the outside of me was fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, I'm a straight A student. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, I even went ice skating that night because every Sunday we would go ice skating and I went ice skating because that's what you do. You just do keep going. And I basically just pretended I was okay for the next 20 years. Right. And, but internally I, felt like everything was my fault. You can't be happy if your mother dies in front of you and you did nothing. Your, your happiness is off the table. You, you can't be happy. That's just good by happiness. And uh, so by the time I hit college, again, in high school, I still kept my straight A's up, pretended I'm fine, a little, little tiny town. By the way, nobody was like allowed to play with me. They just kind of started like we're the weird family, right? Because nothing like this had ever happened in our small town before. They didn't know, you know, they just really ostracized our family. Uh, my relatives never came over. Nobody came to feed us. Nobody came to help us. Zero. Like my relatives had no idea how to deal with it. So they just ignored us. And so when I went away to college, um, to the University of Minnesota, I discovered alcohol. I hadn't, I hadn't done any drinking in high school or I was, you know, kept my perfect persona. And I started drinking in college, uh, became an alcoholic. I got three DUIs, I tried to kill myself three times over those 20 years. And it was really on that third suicide attempt, Patty, that I realized uh, I'm not good at killing myself, not skilled at it. And I have to figure out another way. Now, I do wanna preface this by saying, during that whole time, alcohol, DUI, suicide attempts, you know, I am a, you know, like I was a straight A student, right? Like I did everything, like did, if you would have met me you know, it would have been at a workshop or in therapy, you know, like a therapy session, right? Like I did everything that everybody would do that was really committed to their growth and transformation. I read every book. I did everything possible. You know, I did trauma work. Uh, I did shaman work. I did energy work. You know, I, I did everything. And all of that was nice and good, right? It was good tools and it inspired me. But Patty, none of it changed me fundamentally about how I felt about myself. It didn't take away the shame and the guilt. It didn't take away the feeling that something is significantly wrong with me, you know, somewhere inside of me. And so at the, after that third suicide attempt, I remember going back to my studio apartment and just, uh, I remember just being like living alone in that little studio apartment and just being like, oh my God, I can't keep doing the things that I've done in the past. I'm not dying, which is what I would have preferred. And I'm alive, so I've got to figure this out. And I, and I remember saying to myself, I just have to go back to kindergarten. And I, I got some gold stars, I got a calendar, and I started keeping track of anything that I did good. Like I'm talking anything, like any moment of goodness, any time I did the quote unquote best thing, right thing. And uh, at the end of the month, I had a calendar filled with gold stars. And so I started creating exercises for myself because everything that I tried, again, not that that wasn't helpful, but it didn't fundamentally change me. And um, that is really what's become fearless living today, Patty, is the exercises that I did for myself to change my own life. And then, of course, I kept building on it, building on it, building on it. And, you know, 
I didn't, and I'll end with this is, you know, I didn't do any of that to, I didn't think any of it would impact anybody else. I was just trying to save my own life. And, you know, I remember going to church one day and a couple followed me out and they're like, something's different about you. What are you doing? And I'm like, nothing, nothing. I'm not doing anything because Patty, this is the other thing. You know, I was ashamed that I had to create exercises for myself. I was ashamed that therapy didn't work. Excuse me. <clears throat> you know, I was ashamed therapy didn't work. I thought something was, that, that only proved I was still screwed up. So I didn't tell anybody what I was doing. This was embarrassing. So this couple comes out like, what are you doing? And I'm like, nothing. They're like, what are you doing? And they kept on talking to me and asking me. And finally I said, well, I'm making up these exercises. They're like, give us one. And so I did. And then a week later at church, they go, oh my God, it's working. Do you have another? And I was like, what? Hmm. That was my first moment, Patty, of realizing maybe, maybe this just isn't for me. Maybe it's not only for me. Maybe it's for others. Now, it took me many years to actually do it. Um, but that was my first inclination that maybe my past wasn't just for me. Mm -hmm. That is powerful. So I've had a lot of guests on the show, and I've never cried on the show until today. <laughs> <laughs> um, but your story is so powerful and, um, our listeners, myself, even, um, I'll, you know, everybody, we've all been through a lot diff different things, definitely, um, different levels of trauma, but it is true. I've found that, um, if you use your trials and overcome those, um, you're, you're helping other people and that is how I kind of look at it too. But um, now, what would you say to somebody who might be out there listening, who they're struggling with something, you know, pretty big, because we do have, um, you know, people who've lost a parent or parents um, or loved ones to suicide. I think that's definitely um, a big one. And then obviously your situation's huge, but you're not alone. There's other people out there like you. And um, what would you tell them if they're just in that moment right now where they're struggling and they just need to figure things out? Um, because like you said, you can go through these therapies and you can go through all these things. And um, really for me, I had to have my aha moment myself and you had your aha moment, um, but you are a life coach. and um, so what would you tell people? Well, the first thing that I would want to tell people, and I, and I believe this is the fundamental thing that we need to actually change our lives. And before I even say that, the other thing that I would say is, you know, our neurobiology, you know, the way our brain works, the way our body works in these moments actually works against us. And what I mean by that is, you know, the way that we conserve energy and we're just energy machines, the way we conserve energy is that our neurobiology actually is trained and structured to actually look at the past for a solution to the present moment. So because if we have a template from the past, then we're saving energy. If we have to think, if we have to stop and make a different decision than we have in the past, if we have to have a new thought, that actually takes energy. And so we're wired to save energy. So, you know, when people start on this journey, on one hand, it's going to release energy that's been stuck and stuffed, right? So it's going to, they're going to feel alive again. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is that it's going to take effort 
and it takes it, it takes a willingness and I dare say a courage but again I, I don't think I, I know I never felt courageous I, I don't know if you did I I think when we're doing it we don't feel courageous at all we're just like trying to get our nails in you know, just crawl on the ground through you know broken glass right mm-hmm. so I, I think the thing is to recognize that you're not crazy for continuing to look in the past for a solution to the present. It's actually how you're wired if you do not make choice. If you do not understand how you work, it'll automatically repeat itself, right? Mm-hmm. So one, that's just the way you're wired. It's not crazy, you're not stupid, you're not lazy, you're not, you're not d- damaged, right? Uh, again, unless you make choice. So choice is a really, really important word. But I wanna add a different word that I was starting to talk about just a minute ago with choice, and that becomes compassion. So without compassion, choice can feel rigid, right? Being personally responsible can feel rigid. It can feel, or being honest can feel mean, right? So I always tell my clients and my students that the first thing that we must give ourselves, the first thing, not just to everybody else, you know, most of us are pretty good at doing that, but we are really mean and ruthless with ourselves, right? We're like, we could be better. What is your problem? Get over it. You know, just change your life. Why are you sitting there crying? You know, like we're, we're ruthless with ourselves. Um, and the compassion and seeing our own innocence. And when I say that to people who are in the middle of their trauma or in the middle of their pain, and I say you're innocent, two things happen. One is some people go, oh my God, I, I, I could be innocent. And the other type, uh, other person will say, no, Rhonda, you don't understand me. You know, no, I'm not innocent. And then I say, okay, okay. So I blame myself for 20 years for not kicking my father in the shins, grabbing the gun or stepping in front of my mother. Should I continue to berate? Should I continue to blame? Should I continue to judge? Should I continue to feel guilty? Should I continue to carry the mantle of loser girl because you didn't save your mom? Patty, everybody says no. And I say, well, if I shouldn't carry the mantle, why do you get to? Why, why do you get to keep punishing yourself? You know, and, and then I'll, I'd say, when is the punishment due? Like, when is the payment due for the punishment? When are you paid up? Because, you know, I, I you know, didn't, I didn't get to be happy. And I, you know, I, I berated myself for many, many, many years. And I realized... When is the payment due, Rhonda? When have you berated yourself enough? When have you cut your happiness short? When have you denied your purpose enough? When is the payment gonna be due? So I just leave, I just like throw that out is, you know, the first step is compassion and innocence. Then we get to recognize that we do have choice about how we see ourselves and the situations we've been in and the events that happened around us. Again, I I get that there's difficulty in doing that. I, I totally get that. Um, and it's like, when are you willing to see your innocence? Like, when are you willing to give yourself the gift that you would give me, that you would give Patty, that you would give everyone else? And therefore, when is the payment due? How much do you have to suffer? How much do you have to berate yourself? How much in order to get paid up? When is the payment due? When is the debt paid? And um, those questions are critically important to your willingness to start giving yourself a fighting chance, to give yourself a breath of fresh air so that you can choose again, that you can see yourself differently. So I, was that helpful, Patty? Yeah, it is. And I'm wondering, do you have a family now? Did you ever get married? Do you have any children? I have two stepdaughters. I've been married. I am presently divorced. 
Um, I've been in many long-term relationships. I have two stepdaughters. I was unable to have children on my own. I'm actually infertile, which was another painful part of my history um, in my 30s when I discovered that. So I, I became sober, uh, got married, uh, attempted to have children. I always wanted to be a mother. I, was, I mean, I, I wanted to have six kids and um, unable to have kids. And then uh, my husband and I started talking about, you know, different things we could do. And then our marriage, of course, started at that time, started falling apart. And then I always believed that I would get remarried and figure out a way to have kids. And, you know, life happens, right? Mm -hmm. And I've just realized that all my students and my clients are my kids. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I'm interested in your life coach classes. Um, how do people find you? How do people sign up? What do you do in those classes? Oh, I love that. Life coaching. Um, well, I am fanatical, as you probably guess, I'm fanatical about uh, making sure people are loved and cared for and that they are held while they are learning these skills and tools that are necessary in order to truly not only impact your own life, but also your family. You know, people join the coaching program for lots of reasons. They join it to be a better parent. They join it to be a better leader. Some people want to become coaches professionally and want their own businesses, right? So we have a judge, we've had doctors. I mean, so many different types of ministers have joined our program in order to actually learn how to be more effective uh, with their congregants or with their, uh, with, with their patients. Um, or with the people in front of them at court. So uh, what you can do is you can go to fearlessliving.org, fearlessliving.org, and in there it says coaching, and you can click on become a coach, and that will actually take you to our Life Coach Certification Program page. Uh, that's a different website, lifecoachcertificationprogram.com, but again, everything can be found at fearlessliving.org. And go to fearlessliving.org, and those classes start uh, twice a year, and what you do through those practices, through those classes are three things. One, uh, what we pride ourselves in is one, uh, you will be held like you've never been held before. We have support like nobody's business. Two, and you have your own mentor. It's basically more like an apprenticeship than, uh, than a mentorship. Like you are really apprenticed in the coaching path. And part of that is you work with real clients. Uh, a lot of coaching programs, most coaching programs out there do peer-to-peer -peer coaching, which we believe is ineffective. You actually aren't coaching a real client. Exactly. So, right? Like, so you got to learn to coach a real person, not somebody who knows the work like you do. You got to be completely doesn't know what fearless living is. Um, and so we really train our mentors. They're the highest quality of our coaches. We have, you know, certified fearless living coaches, advanced masters, and then they, they study a year to become a mentor. And then, um, and then we teach you how to coach as well as the proprietary method of fearless living. And I, I just want to say one thing about the how of coaching. Um, sadly, most coaching programs don't focus on the how, they focus on the content. And um, so I have, I've had coaches and I, one event in particular, I was at a, at a party, a birthday party, and a coach came up to me and uh, said like, oh, Rhonda, blah, blah, blah. Um, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. And they said, well, how do you get your clients to do their homework? And I looked at her dead in the eye and said, that's coaching. So most coaching programs sadly teach content. They actually don't teach you how to coach. And that is where our heart is, is the how of coaching. Because when you know how to coach, all the content you've ever learned, everything you've ever done in your life is now applicable and be able to be used in that, in that skill of how to coach. So yeah, go to fearlessliving.org. Uh, you'll see the classes that I teach. You'll see, you'll go under coaching and go become a coach and find out about that. There's a quiz on that page to help you decide if coaching is the right step for you. And of course we have, you know, 
info calls and different things that you can find out more about it. But it's, it's an incredible program. And we are called the Ivy League of Life Coach Training because we're the only coaching program in the world that actually has mentorship and actual supervision. There is no other coaching program that has that. They might have a mentorship, like go and meet with the mentor three times. We have over nine, it's a nine month program and you meet with your mentor on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So, That's amazing. Yeah. Now, what do you feel like one of your biggest accomplishments has been? You know, being able to, I, I, I would say three, I have three moments in my life where the trajectory of my life changed. One is getting sober. I've been sober for, you know, like 32 years. And without getting sober, I definitely would not be here today. The second thing is forgiving my parents. Uh, Being able to forgive my parents. Again, I thought I forgave them that day. I was planning on being a minister when I was 14. So the day they died, uh, our minister came over and I was like, no, I've forgiven them. I've forgiven my dad. Like, I really believe that. And on some level, I probably did. But then life happens and you have to forgive again and again and again, right? Forgiveness Mm -hmm. is an onion. And when I really did the work to actually really forgive them at a very deep level, uh, I did a ceremony at a lake and I remember I was there all day. And I remember walking away from that ceremony, like turning from the lake towards my car. And Patty, I remember very distinctly feeling that these were the first steps that I was taking as myself. Until that moment, I'd been carrying my parents on my back, right? And then the third thing I would say is forgiving myself. Being able to see my own innocence. Being able to see my own innocence and forgive myself has allowed me to step forward. And in all my imperfection of my humanity, to tell people my experience, to tell people what I've done, show them how fear works, explain to them that they're not crazy, that it's just fear. There's nothing wrong with them. It's just fear. And once you understand the mechanism of fear, you can actually transcend it. Uh, but that would have never happened if I hadn't forgiven myself because I, I, would have, I would have never felt worthy to do this work. I think that's so true. I think oftentimes we hold on to things and we blame ourselves for situations that we really weren't the ones making those decisions. But you always think, what if, or you know, what if I had done this or that? I think that's normal. I think we do that, Patty, because we want control, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so if I can blame myself for my parents dying, then I can say, see, I can make myself better and then have more control in the future. But that's a fallacy. That's, that's a lie. But I think that's why we take on things that aren't our responsibility because we're doing it from a sense of wanting to be in control and wanting to be able to control our lives, control the external world, control our environment. You know, So we're doing it out of a desire to make a bigger impact but you're taking responsibility for things that are not yours to be responsible for. Mm-hmm. It's so not your true. Yeah. So true. Um, do you have anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners today? Yeah. Well, I would love to, am, am I able to give a free gift? I would love to. Absolutely. There's a, there's a class that I would love to give that you can start this journey, start really seeing what fear, how fear works, starting to see just the beginnings of this pathway that I've created and it's an exercise called stretch risk or die and um it's a very simple exercise there's worksheets it's it's just a three 15 minute video super easy uh and just go and you know just take it It, you can find it at fearlessliving.org 
forward slash risk, R-I-S-K, fearlessliving.org forward slash risk, R-I-S-K. Um, and the last thing that I would say, you know, as you ask, is there anything else? I, I want to repeat what I said just a minute ago, is there is nothing wrong with you. It's just fear. You're not damaged. You're not a loser. You're not stupid. You're not lazy. You're not weak. None of those things. You're not any, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just fear lying to you. And once I recognize what fear and how it works, my life changed. Wow. Your story is so powerful. I'm sure that when all that was going on, when you were 14 years old, you never even imagined you would be doing what you're doing today. No, I was, no, never. I mean, I never thought, I mean, I remember, um, you know, I just, I just didn't believe that I had the right to do this. Right. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, you know, again, it took forgiveness of myself and being willing to see my own innocence that gave me permission to start saying, okay, maybe I can contribute to others. Maybe those people that were at church who asked me what I knew and it started working for them maybe I need to follow that seed and that nurturing. You know, I really felt spirit saying to me, you know, go here, Rhonda, do that. And whew, it was, uh, it was a journey and I am beyond grateful. And I, I also believe that, I also believe that this was my destiny, right? Like we all have our destinies and, you know, the worst moments in our life are seeds of our destiny. And if we can embrace those worst moments of our life, we can actually fulfill our destiny. I just remember at the beginning of the show, you had mentioned that you thought that you might be a minister when you grow up. Right. And, and I'm thinking, well, here you go. <laughs> In a way you are. <laughs> Ministerial school at one point, And um, I had some conflicts in my schedule because I was speaking and doing that stuff. And my minister, the head minister looked at me and he goes, what are you doing here? You don't need a, you, you're mini- go, you go, you're go do your work. You know, you don't have to stay in ministerial school. And I was like, really? And he's like, go. Um, Yes, I am a minister at heart. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Rhonda, it has been so amazing to have you on the show. And you really touched my heart. Uh, I know you're going to touch everybody's hearts who listen to this and who is watching this. And we're going to share your links that will be on the video um, right on the screen here. And It'll be in our podcast notes and all over our social media. So thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your amazing story. And if you're out there watching, um, definitely check out Rhonda's website because um, I think that she can truly help everybody at every level. So thank you, Rhonda. You, Patty. Be fearless. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Wake Up with Patty Catter. Thank you. Thanks for all that you do. Sponsored by the Patriotic Mermaid. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. I love the show, guys. You're awesome. For more information and updates, check out www.pattycatter.com or thepatrioticmermaid.com. Also, make sure to drop us a follow on Instagram at Wake Up with Patty Catter and at the Patriotic Mermaid. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on all major podcast platforms. Until next time, take care.